CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. My God, Ben, come on, we're late. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see what's so funny. (laughs) Being late. The the bottle. It always gets to me. That bottle. (laughs) He loves the bottle, guys. The crashing. You'd think by now, like the crashing bottle, I'd be like... Over it now. There's certain the crashing bottle, Raylo <laughs> apologizing before he lets loose with the F bomb. Lori Lightfoot says she's gonna take the car. There's just some things, you know, life is bleak, life is miserable, life is difficult, life's a challenge. And then Dennis plays them, and I'm like, oh gets me every time. I won't just turn the car around. Okay, not now, Mayor Lightfoot. <laughs> And then the other one goes, oh, Bruce Rounder. And Brianna on the live stream chat, perhaps, yes, we are a little late. Perhaps Ben was finally in that porta potty. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. Hold on. Let me look. Oh, yep, oh. still there. Porta potty update. Excellent. You know what? I, I got to say this. Someone's um, texting me. Oh, there we go. Possibly. Oh, maybe it's our guest, Troy LaRavier, who will be on. Uh, yeah, who knows? Um, was it Troy? But. Uh, no, it wasn't oh, Troy. Damn. I think I recognized the the, uh, the number, but I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, I had a friend come over who listens to the show, and he says, I want to see where it all takes place. He, so he came up to the attic, and uh, it was, it's really nothing to see. I was going to say, he's probably like, wow, that was underwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And then he looked out the window, and he saw the porta potty. <laughs> he goes, oh, you're not. It's not just a gag. No, there's a porta potty. It's been there for a year and a half. There's a construction project that somehow or other got delayed. Yeah. And it's so I got this porta potty. Yeah, I hope they're not listening. Uh-oh. Worst construction crew ever. My God, finish that job. <laughs> it's just as well. Plus, in the front, we got the dumpster. The dumpster's been there forever. <laughs> I'll just park the dumpster, leave it there. What the all right, uh, before we get going here, uh, last week on the program, uh, we forgot to play something, and boy, I got an earful from our host, Ben Jarofsky, off the scene. So, Ben, I'm so sorry. Before we get going. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie <laughs> Research Institute, this yeah. is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Our mild April continued this oh. week with average temperatures ranging from the mid-40s in northern Illinois to the oh. low 60s in far southern Illinois, within two degrees of normal. Mm. Although temperatures have moderated oh. over the past seven to 10 days, the first half of April has still been two to seven degrees above normal statewide huh. following a very warm March. All right. And that's about all I can take. So we're just going to go ahead and stop it there. Trent Ford. There you go, Ben. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's all you got to say about Trent Ford. Just, yeah. Well, no, because frozen. I don't know if you heard it on your part. Uh, we may have to excise that from the podcast because uh. it kept freezing. Uh. So yeah, I was listening intently. I always try to hear and learn about stuff from Trent. Sometimes he talks about his favorite movies. Yeah, I think he gave us Oscar predictions uh, in the today's uh, weather uh, update. 
yeah, it's a lot of precipitation uh, in the Alton area and uh, plenty of fog in downstate Carbondale. By the way, I think Minari will win. Yes, that's a trend forward with my uh, Oscar prediction. What's, oh, Ben's holding a sign up. Please keep playing Trent Ford. Okay. Orange barefoot <laughs> temperatures God. measured at the Illinois the host, Water sir. Survey's warm network stations <laughs> hovered between 45 and 50 degrees over the past couple of weeks. As of 10 a.m. on Thursday, soils at most stations north of Champaign remained below 50 degrees, including 42 degree four inch bare soil temperatures in Freeport. Mm-hmm. Seven okay, day right. t- precipitation totals range from just under half an inch in northeast okay. Illinois to over three inches. In. Okay, sir, you are boring. All right, let's get today's show underway. I don't know why everybody likes that segment. Most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. But your Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, what a week it was with special guest Troy LaRavier for Friday, April 16th. is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors. And of course, Chicago. Read what's so funny. Nothing. (laughs) Shattering bottle. ChicagoReader.com. Where did we get get the shattering bottle? It started uh, in WCU later when uh, we were covering the Aldermanic races, and I was uh, comparing them to a a big back alley brawl, the Aldermanic races. And, uh, you know, we were doing, oh, my God, watch out. (laughs) Holy crap, Ramirez Rosa. What? What are you doing? Well, no wonder I got fired. Oh. It was the shat. Now I know. Well, it was I me. See the big wigs of the station getting together. I don't like this shattering glass thing. Let's get rid of him. Okay. Plus, he's an old hippie lefty. <laughs> Commie. Yeah, that's what it was. Not uh, the Lincoln Yards. Uh, not uh, any of the ROM stuff. Nope. Just a, a, a sound effect of a glass breaking. Yes. That's what it was. Whatever makes you feel better, buddy. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what to smoke, even. All right. How to think politically. So much more. If you are a clueless Chicagoan, get a clue. ChicagoReader.com and become a binhead. Do you like this program? You want to help out this program? Well, you can. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. There, not only will you find our endless archive of Ben Jarofsky shows, we are damn near to 900, all right? I believe this will be episode 990, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So we are almost there to 1,000 episodes. Go check them out. I mean, if you missed a few, go ahead and, uh, you know, catch up and uh, get uh, get your Ben Jarofsky fix there. Ben Jarofsky uh, show, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Become a binhead. You can either join the alley, the avenue, or you can be living large on Benny Boulevard. Go check it out. Help out the Ben Jarofsky show, and you will get a deal on the latest book from Ben Jarofsky. It's its greatest hits covering 40 years, 4-0, guys, 40 years of Chicago journalism. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. And Ben, we do Song of the Week, and you have a Song of the Week. Are you excited about oh, your, your microphone's on mute? Good thing because I was clearing my throat in preparation of song yeah. of the day. I don't know. Excuse maybe me. maybe put it on mute when you sing this one. Uh, I'm your boogeyman by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh yeah, Here, I'll put it on mute for that one. I'm your boogeyman. Boogeyman. God. I'm not really a big fan of that song. Uh, well, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. That bass line was incredible. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky show starts now.
It is Friday, April 16th, and still live from downstate Illinois and from his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show's Oh, What a Week It Was with special guest, Troy LaRavier. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here calling this. What do I say Friday? And here's why. Uh, as Dennis says, this is the day we do the week that was. I uh, generally try to keep it funny uh, or at least appreciate the absurdities of life. Uh, that will be difficult today because we'll be talking about murder, specifically the shooting in the back alley in the early hours of a 13-year-old kid by a police officer, a Chicago police officer. Yes, yes, I'm talking about the Adam Toledo story. Uh, there are other news items of the week that have relevance that uh, normally we'd spend a lot of time talking about. Uh, maybe we'll get to some of them. I'm not sure what will happen uh, in this upcoming show. A CTU and CPS cut a deal. High schools remain open. Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, made her bid uh, to keep sort of keep her election promise for an elected school board while holding on to all the power of the board with a hybrid pro- proposal that she unleashed yesterday. Uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, uh, sanctioned by the GOP in Will County for voting against Trump. How dare you vote against Donald Trump? And so they canceled his culture. And something about a tunnel and all. I don't know if we'll get to the tunnel and all. We may have to hold that for next week. Uh, uh, but one of our listeners, John McDermott, I thank you, John, sent a, a funny um, email about a story about a tunnel and all. And, of course, uh, Dr. D is from Alton. And as we speak, he is down downstate in Alton uh, visiting his his mom and his other relatives. So, uh, and by the way, he's got this really great setup. He may never leave Alton. He may never leave Alton yeah. with that great studio setup he's got there. Found the sweet trailer. Uh, so. I think I may just park it here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> On the banks of the Mississippi River. So every morning he'll get up and chop some wood and do a little fishing. You know, that's how he starts the day when he's in Alton. <laughs> I can't even see you fishing, D. I'm sorry. It's just I just can't see it. I'm trying to picture you Gonna go fishing today, honey. Oh, I'll come up. I'll come up to the city, pick you up in my trailer, and we'll go. Anyway, but uh, really, um, it's hard to uh, hard to talk about anything else. Uh, the whole city has dedicated itself more or less to watching this horrific video of the murder of a thirteen-year-old, and it really is sober viewing. I, I wasn't going to watch it, but you have to watch it because you're going to talk about things, and uh, there's really no avoiding it. Uh, and at a moment like this, you're supposed to say something and everybody is expected to have some kind of like analysis of what went down. What's the larger meaning of what down, uh, hope, maybe some hope in it. The only guy uh, that I saw who actually has something like as far as a definitive, maybe D has some other quotes coming up that uh, I haven't seen yet. That'll be all along the line, but I'm reading the sun times, get my bright one out here reading the Tribune, and they're quoting absolutely everybody they can think of. And, you know, everybody is just kind of hesitant before they make some kind of official pronouncement of what it means. Uh, John Canizera, though, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, and he said without hesitation, he was 100% right, meaning the uh, police officer who did the shooting. The offender still turned with the gun in his hand. This occurred in eight-tenths of a sentence. Second, excuse me, end of quote. Man, I wish I could go through life with such utter certainty. Uh, that's not what I saw when I saw the video. 
But it uh, would be nice to get through life, which is complete and total, utter uh, certainty at all times. And I'll just point out that John Canizera, as the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, obviously feels that it is his duty and his responsibility to uh, support a police officer in any circumstances, regardless of what the evidence may show. Anyway, if this... Um, this shooting, this gruesome, horrible event that took place and is in everybody's face right now uh, has a greater meaning. Uh, it'll be uh, really hard to find, but we're going to give it a try. Uh, we'll be listening to what many of our leaders have to say about it. Uh, we'll listen to all sides of the issue, and then uh, we'll bring on our old friend, uh, Troy LaRavier. Dennis set this up. Hey, let's, let's, let's just break that fourth wall, which we love breaking on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, usually I'm the one who books the guests and usually, uh, this whole week we've had mystery guests, people at the last minute who said they wanted to come on the show. So Dennis said, I'm going to have a mystery guest for you on Friday. And he didn't let me know who it was. And on his own, that little devil. Put away. <laughs> who, me? <laughs> he said, he put aside that ax. Said I'm not going to chop wood this morning. And he put aside that fishing pole. He said I'm not going to go fishing this morning. And he put aside that bong and said I'm not going to take a hit this morning. No, I'm going to book a mystery guest. Well, I mean, you can smoke a bong and still book a guest. Come on now. <laughs> That's true. That's a valid point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Maybe I ought to try it. You know. At, uh... Please don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I really haven't touched a bong since 1979. I don't know. I was going to make him, uh, anyway. I was going to do the mystery guest thing, but Troy LaRavier is so awesome. Uh, you know, I, we had to sell that, you know, so we had to mention that on the Facebook and on Twitter. So, you know, couldn't make that I one haven't a mystery. Talked to, yeah. Since you booked him, I haven't talked to him, so I, don't, I have no idea what he's going to say. Uh, and uh, I've learned down through the years uh, that Troy is one of the more thoughtful people in uh, Chicago. He ran for mayor, by the way, briefly. I often wonder what the, how he would be handling uh, the tasks, the challenges that the mayor faces. Uh, but he usually has something very interesting and thoughtful to say. He does a lot of, uh, uh, he's, he's pretty honest too. So I'm really curious what he's going to have to say about um, the events that are unfolding in our city with uh, the video of the officer uh, shooting uh, Adam Toledo, murdering Adam Toledo, killing him in the alley. Uh, I'll just read to you the Sun-Times, D, before I kick it back to you. This is the Sun-Times editorial. And, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta say this, you're, you're, you're right at editorial. You have an instant, you have to come up with something compelling and thoughtful to say in an instant and then put it out there. Now you try it sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people say stuff, they'll put it out on Twitter. You know, they're not really held accountable for it. And then as soon as, soon as they are held accountable, they back off, you know? So it's really hard to say in brothers and sisters in the editorial writing business, uh, I understand the, the pressures you're under. And this is how they concluded the Sun-Times editorial. Uh, we have plenty of questions as to why a 13-year-old boy was out in the streets at 2.30 in the morning. We'd also like to know who gave him that gun, if he had one. We're looking forward to a tough prosecution of the adult who apparently was running the streets with him that night, 21-year-old Ruben Ro Roman. But the heart of the matter remains a single split sex second at 2.38 in the morning. An officer ordered a suspect to show his hands. The suspect did exactly that. The officer shot him. What is Chicago to make of this one this time? So instead of an answer, they end with a question, and I don't blame them. It's a very challenging, difficult thing. I'm looking at this picture, D. There's no gun in that hand. 
It's really hard to get around that one. Anyway, uh, we'll be uh, breaking down this video, the shooting, and uh, other things uh, that Dennis has. And a Trixie has up his sleeve. We have Troy Arrive VA coming up. But before we do that, anyway, I'm turning things over to the young man from Alton, Dr. D. How's it going, everybody? Name's Dennis. All right. Uh, we do have one other piece of news to unpack from this week before we get into uh, the Adam Toledo news. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Nadir Issa. A follow-up from last week. Chicago Public Schools and the Chicago Teachers Union have landed a tentative agreement to reopen high schools, setting the stage for thousands of teenage students to return to classrooms Monday for the first time in more than a year. The deal will still need to be approved by the union's 25,000 teachers and staff. The CTU's House of Delegates convened Thursday afternoon to review the terms of the agreement and voted with 83% of delegates in favor of holding a ratification vote by the full membership this weekend. The 600-member governing body also officially ended the two-day labor action that saw high school teachers working remotely instead of in their schools as ordered by the district. A CTU committee of rank-and-file teachers and staff who have been involved in bargaining unanimously recommended approval of the agreement. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and school's chief Janice Jackson called the reopening deal, quote, a critical milestone for our families, and it's a tremendous step forward for the academic and social emotional well-being of our students. Lightfoot and Jackson said in a joint statement, quote, in-person learning will resume for high school students for the first time in more than a year. And for the first time since March 2020, students in all grade levels at CPS have access to in-person learning. Well, was that that hard? You know, I listened to you, D. I read the story. Uh, every, and it was completely, uh, obviously, uh, just overtaken by uh, the Adam Toledo story. But do you... My, I was just shaking my head and just sort of smile. I'm like, was that so hard? You know, the powers that be that run the Chicago public school system, which is the mayor and her uh, appointees, met with representatives of the teachers union and they reached an accord. Was that that hard? Right? Wasn't that hard? I mean, they, you know, <laughs> all that mm, fuming. People in Chicago despise teachers unions. How dare they? How dare they look out for the interests of their rank and file? Or their students? You know, how they dare they ask hard questions of the mayor? You're supposed to just do what you're told. Fall in line. So wasn't that hard? Wasn't that hard in the long run? No. Uh, it's... It's interesting, D. Though I uh, you read that uh, the sometimes the sometimes piece you're reading because I remember reading it this morning uh, and thinking, why is there a joint statement between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson, a appointee? It's a small point, but it's kind of a bigger point too. You know, it's like why is it the joint statement between Lori Lightfoot and Jesse Sharkey? That it, it Lori Lightfoot wasn't negotiating with Janice Jackson. It wasn't like Lori Lightfoot That's had true. reached an agreement That's very with true. Janice Jackson. You know, Janice, it was like, here's how it works with Janice Jackson and Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot calls her up. I want you to do X, Y, Z. And Janice Jackson says, yes, your honor. Okay. It's like, why are they releasing it? We are releasing this agreement that says we agree with absolutely everything. Well, you always agreed with everything. 
You have to, if you're an appointee of the mayor, you have to agree with the mayor. That's how it works. That's why the board of ed goes along with it. They're all appointees. So I was like, I just, I was shaking my head. I'm like, what? It should be a joint statement between. I'm just doing this on the fly, guys. Okay, I'm not in the PR department. Something along the lines of after a long and contentious discussion where a lot of issues were laid on the table, we're happy to say that we've come to an agreement, this, that, and the other thing, and we're working together on behalf of the children of Chicago. Whoa, that's a joint agreement. That, or we can do this. I will just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. Right now. um, And I'm going to make you walk. Oh, that was a joint statement, huh? That was really well done, by the way. Dude. You mixed them together. Oh, mixed collars. Played them both yeah, at the you, same time. You, oh, is that how you do it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were feverishly t- cutting up tape. <laughs> no. Tape. <laughs> no, no. Just hit them both at the same time. I will I, just um, turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. Right I'm now. Kick you out, um, and I'm going to make you walk home. Sometimes you should throw uh, Raylo in there. Whoa, blow my mind. Lori Lightfoot taking the car and turning around. Jesse Sharkey, um, and then Raylo. Uh. I mean, you know, uh, all right, let's go for it. I'm going to turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. Right now, um, and I'm going to make you walk we're partying today guys <laughs> no offense that's what I mean. <laughs> no offense <laughs> oh lord i'm laughing to keep from crying ladies and gentlemen anyway uh so <laughs> We have more joint statements on the Ben Jarofsky show than Lori Lightfoot and Jesse Sharkey have ever had. I don't know. I just, look, far be it from me, an old lefty hippie in his attic overlooking a porta potty to give advice to someone as powerful and important as the mayor of the city of Chicago. But I'm just saying, if you've had a really rough, tough, turbulent negotiating session with the Chicago Teachers Union, when you're happy to announce that it's over, do you reach agreement? It might be a good idea to have a joint statement with them as opposed to a joint statement with the person who was negotiating on your behalf. I don't know. What do I know? So is all okay. has all is all good now uh, between CPS and CTU. Can we move on from this now? Uh, or are we going to see any more stories like this in the future? Uh, what do you think, Ben? Not, I think not that much no. of a school year. The fact left. They couldn't even get a joint statement together. <laughs> I will not. Have a joint statement with that. I thought she kind of liked Jesse Sharkey. Isn't that, the, I don't know, isn't it like the good cop, bad cop thing where Lori Lightfoot cannot stand Stacey Davis Gates, but kind of likes Jesse Sharkey? I, I thought that's the, the vibe the papers were putting out. You know, the, these poor reporters have to cover this every day. Hey, Lori Lightfoot, rrr, rrr, Jesse Sharkey, ah, uh, uh, that's, I'm saying, ah, uh, the horn. Oh, yeah, we got it. That was just good. That was just a one-time thing, ladies and gentlemen. Just it, it, every time Jesse Sharkey gives a press statement, it's not with a horn in the background. Oh, now why are you ruining the bit, Ben? Come on, oh, sorry. <laughs> just come on, pal. Just, just could be somebody out there goes. Does he always have a horn there? Some of our listeners are very literal-minded. Okay, so you're I'm worried right. about. That. You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right, now to the pressing news. Uh, so anyway, I'm really glad that, that they cut. They cut. By the way, I'm just going to say. They cut deals. This is the third one. I'm, I'm keeping informal count. 
One was the strike. They eventually settled that. Two was when they agreed on returning for uh, elementary schools and now high schools. So a lot of love, a lot of love between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago teachers. All right, now let's go to the pressing news of the week here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, Tom Shuba, Frank Main, and Sam Kelly. A police watchdog agency Thursday released a video showing a Chicago police officer shooting 13-year-old Adam Toledo, who seemingly empty hands or raised, but who appeared to have a gun in his hand just a moment earlier. The officer who shot Adam was wearing a body camera that shows him chasing the teen down an alley in Little Village at about 2.30 a.m. on March 29th. The officer orders him to stop and show his hands. A slow motion version of the video from that body camera shows Adam standing sideways in a large gap in a wooden fence with what looks like a gun in one of his hands behind his back. The officer is on the other side of the alley. He yells, drop it. In less than a second, Adam raises his hands as the officer fires. Adam crumples to the ground and the officer calls for an ambulance and performs CPR. The officer's video does not show Adam throwing away a gun and the boy doesn't appear to be holding a weapon in his raised hands. But another video shows him apparently throwing something through a gap in the fence to the other side. And a video shows an officer discovering a handgun there. All right. Uh, I have Mayor Lightfoot's reaction here. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, says here, uh, this comes from, I believe, Fran Spielman. An emotional Mayor Lightfoot acknowledged Thursday that Chicago, quote, failed 13-year-old Adam Toledo and vowed to use his death at the hands of police as a catalyst to provide constructive alternatives for teenagers like him. Lightfoot said, quote, simply put, we failed Adam and we cannot afford to fail one more young person in our city. We must do more to help children like Adam before they end up in encounters like this one. Sometimes the streets are every bit as seductive and powerful as a narcotic. Families do everything they can, moms, dads, grandparents, to love and support their children. But they are fighting against powerful, powerful forces. We've got to give them the tools that they need to be able to support and keep their children from harm. Hours before the release of a shooting video, she called incredibly difficult to watch, particularly at the end, Lightfoot choked back tears as she urged Chicagoans to stay calm and reserve judgment until the Civilian Office of Police Accountability completes its investigation. Lightfoot knows better than anyone how difficult it will be to avoid a rush to judgment. Uh, She said, quote, Chicago has a long legacy of police violence and police misconduct that have left far too many residents, especially those who are black and brown, in a constant state of fear and pain. It is certainly understandable why so many of our residents are feeling an all too familiar surge of outrage and pain. She said it's even clearer that trust between our communities and law enforcement is far from healed and remains badly broken. This lack of trust makes it even more difficult for many of us to wait and hear all the facts before making up our mind in tragedies like this. But I urge each resident who cares and loves this city, let's wait until we hear all the facts. We have more thoughts, quotes, and reactions from our elected leaders here in Illinois. But first, Ben Jarofsky. How are we feeling about all this? What was your reaction to the video? And what do you think of the mayor's response? Well, um, man, a lot of questions there. I'll try to remember them all, D. But um, I'll start with uh, what I thought when I saw the video. And um, my bottom line 
when Adam Toledo raised his hand at the command of the police officer, there was no gun in his hand. I'm looking at the picture right now. There was no gun in his hand. Now, as the Sun-Times points out, there's, it looks as though there might have been a gun in his hands, and it looks as though he dropped the gun behind the fence. And so often is the case in matters like this, like as, as Lori Lightfoot was saying, like there's this suspicion that evidence is planted. There's this doubt that's in your mind. You know, because in the past we've seen, we've had instances where police have said it absolutely happened one way. And then when we finally see a videotape, it didn't happen that way. Laquan McDonald is the most obvious case. So in this case, it looks as though he dropped something behind a fence and it looks as though it might be a gun. But this is the key. When he raised his hands, there were no, there was no gun in his hand. And I'm, I'll bet you anything that police officer fired that gun that killed him wishes he hadn't pulled the trigger. And so I don't, we're going to hear a lot of other people. They're going to try to justify it. But you asked me, D, what my thought was, no gun in his hand. The gun, the officer should not have shot him. And if that officer had not pulled that trigger, we wouldn't even be talking about this at this matter. And, you know, Adam Toledo was 13 years old. Uh, he's a minor. His identity would have been concealed. There would have been a minor, minor story about a shooting in Little Village. That's what triggered all this in the first place. There was a shooting in Little Village. Uh, they think that, uh, what's his name, Roman, who uh, Adam Toledo was with, was the one who shot the gun. Nobody was hurt, but there was a, a shooting. And that's what brought the police to the area in the first place. That's pretty frightening in and of itself. Just random gunfire at 2.30 in the morning. But we would have absorbed that as, as a city because, unfortunately, that happens all the time in Chicago. So we would have absorbed that. But because of this, in, that instant, the police officer just pulled the trigger, even though Adam Toledo had no gun in his hand. This is now a national matter. And D, I, you asked me what my reaction is. It's, it's really upsetting to watch the murder of a 13-year-old. Really upsetting to watch the murder of anybody. You know, I mean, and my natural impulse is, no, I don't want to watch it. And, you know, and some, I don't know if you know this, but some uh, outlets, they didn't even show that. They, they excised. This is such a so upsetting video. We're going to excise the part, which is kind of ridiculous, actually, when you think about it, because the whole point, if you're going to watch the video, you're doing it to reach some kind of judgment about whether it was justifiable shooting, like the police officer's life was really in danger. And if it wasn't his life, it had to be the other Adam's life. So if you, if you can't see that, then what's the point? But the, the larger point is that it was really, it's really difficult to watch this. And um, his hand, D, I'm looking at the picture right now. There's no gun in, in his hand. So it's really hard to justify pulling the trigger at that moment. And I saw that sometimes article. They, 
Troy LaRabier is joining us. Troy LaRabier is joining us. I'll include my remarks and then bring Troy on. Uh, it's, I know that sometimes it's really bending over backwards uh, to try their hardest to make it clear that the police officer had a reason to fear for his life because there was, it's likely that Adam Toledo had a gun in his hand, but I'm looking at this picture right now, the final instant of Adam's life, there's no gun in his hand. So I think that's sort of where we start uh, with this issue of the shooting. And uh, I'll hold back on what my thoughts are on uh, Lori Lightfoot's comment because we got Troy LaRavier here, D. Don't you think it's a good idea to bring him on? Let's do it. Uh, Troy LaRavier, a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, uh, the head of the Chicago Principals Association. I've known him for about five years now. He speaks his mind. He's thoughtful. I wish he had run for mayor. He did kind of, sort of, briefly. And then, of course, this would be in his plate right now, um, dealing with all this. Uh, but, Troy, um, let's just start with the basics. You're just general thoughts. Um, when you saw, I presume you've, you've seen the video, am I correct? Yes, I have. How's my volume? Your volume is excellent. All right, perfect. Your voice is coming through loud and clear. And uh, so, uh, yeah, general thoughts. Go ahead. Yes, I've seen the video. So my first comments, so my comments are based on, so I have my thoughts, and I, but my thoughts are based on the sort of cacophony that's out there, this repeated, these repeated talking points by people who support um, cops that are not doing the right thing. So the idea that he had a gun being a justifiable reason to shoot someone, especially when it's a person of color, because when white people have guns, they don't get shot, right? You don't get shot for having a gun. You don't get shot for having a gun and running, right? That's why there's this whole Second Amendment thing. Like, you just, you can have one. You should not get shot for having a gun, period. Uh, But that only comes, that conversation only happens when it's a person of color with the gun, right? And I think people need to, to come to grips with that in a very solid way. Like, that it's fine for white people to have guns, but when young black people, young Latino people, young people of color have, just simply have one, it's, it, somehow it's now justifiable to shoot them for just having one. Um, and then there's this idea about fearing for, a cop fearing for his or her life. Now, we have to make up our minds with our narrative of cops. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't say we put our lives on the line in one sense. We have to uphold these folks because they put their lives on the line for us. And then when you look at something like what just happened with Adam, and we see that they say, well, he had a gun. So she was justified, or the officer was justified in fearing that she might get shot. And so, and then for, therefore justified in shooting at he, he, yeah. So 
when you look at that, it runs counter to the narrative that officers put their lives on the line, right? Putting your life on the line would have been waiting another moment until you were sure. That's putting your life on the line. When you shoot because you think you saw a gun, you think he might shoot you with the gun before you are certain that a gun is being aimed at you. You are not putting your life on the line. You are acting out of fear. You are acting out of fear for your life. You're not putting it, putting it on the line would be waiting that extra second, half a second, extra moment until you're certain. That's putting your life on the line. And if you're not willing to do that, then stop saying that you're putting your life on the line because that's not what you're doing. You know, as a cop, your job is to protect Adam's life. Like it needs to be a whole different way or mindset to what being a cop is. Your your job is to protect the life of the person you're chasing. And to put your life on the line for them. Because they are like, they could be innocent. Um, and so this whole narrative that, so from saying that this narrative that he had a gun and she was just for justified, one is bullshit and two, it runs counter to the whole narrative that cops put their lives on the line. Make up your mind. You either put your life on the line and wait that half extra half a second, or you go ahead and admit it's all about your life. You're not here to serve and protect. You're not going to put your life on the line. You're going to shoot first because what you think you see. And then we're going to end this public narrative about cops putting their lives on the line. Now, in fairness to police officers in general, I'm fairly certain there's been hundreds of thousands of incidents where the cop waited, <laughs> but right? And we never hear about them because the person lives. And those cops are putting their lives on the line. They are doing the right thing. They wait to the cert. And then in that split second where they wait, they are putting their lives on the line and they need to be praised for it. But in cases like this, where you didn't put your life on the line, where your life became became before the life of this little 13-year-old boy. The possibility of maybe losing your life took precedent over maybe saving this boy's life by waiting that extra half a second, right? Like, that's the kind of policing that needs to end. That's the kind of incident that needs to be highlighted to rethink what the entire nature of policing has to be in terms of you being there to protect him and what you have to do in that moment to save his life. That's what you're there for. That's my comment. Mm. So, um, how realistic is that? And, uh, in other words, how realistic is it to change the mindset of police officers to get them to stop thinking about their lives at a moment like that and start thinking about the person they're chasing through an alley in his life? It has to be part of the training. It has to be part of the culture. It has to, the, the hypocrisy of what putting your life on the line while at the same, saying you're putting your life on the, on the line while at the same time putting 
your life above someone, but at the same time, actually not putting your life on the line by not pausing. Like the hypocrisy has to be part of the training. It has to be part of how we talk about policing. Uh, I think it's realistic. You get a critical mass. It's real. I know it's possible. Is it possible in this political environment? Is it possible with this leadership? Is it possible with this union? You know, is it possible with the level of public consciousness about that hypocrisy that we have right now? No. You know, but it has to be built. You know, and I don't know if I'm the first one to say it. I've never heard it anywhere. Um, but it has to get repeated. It has to be part of what people come together and organize to make happen. You know, it wasn't possible. Hell, it wasn't possible for police to be wearing body cams 15 years ago. And now they're all over the place. You know, someone got the idea. <laughs> it spread, it spread, movements. Um, and, and many of these um, police accountability laws that are existing, they weren't possible before. But someone got the ideas. They built movements around them. They pressured their politicians. Um, and now we see police accountability laws being passed in state legislatures and city councils across, across the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it's just an idea. You know, it has to spread. Movements have to be built around, um, making them happen, mm-hmm. making our politicians, our elected officials, uh, institute, like, like, like make that a part of the culture of how they talk about police. First of all, and making it a part of how police, how police get, uh, trained yeah. and, and, and how policing culture is built. You know what I mean? So it also means getting rid of a lot of folk who are in policing right now, you know, who, who don't agree with that fundamental principle. You, you know, know and, fundamental and, principle, you got to go. And Troy, I have to say, uh, when I was listening to you, it brought back, we had a conversation yesterday in the show with a different guest, uh, Vincent Normand. And uh, who's a frequent guest in the show. And he had sent me a clip, which you probably saw. I don't know if you saw or not, but uh, it's a clip of police, uh, white police officers pulling over a white man in a car and the man has a gun. And this is to your point. Uh, and the, the, the motorist with the gun is just totally verbally abusing the cop. And uh, he ends up, the cops end up letting him, they're like, sir, please, sir. Not, you know, uh, and then they end up letting him drive away. Uh, and this is to the point you were making that there's something going on in the mind of a police officer in a moment like that, where even though when they see a white person with a gun, they don't view it as a threat. Now, I don't even know if that police officer knew the race or ethnicity of Adam Toledo. He's chasing someone in an alley. It's dark. So I have no idea. He knew what neighborhood he was in. He, 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 he just <laughs> he read my mind. So when when do we start dealing with that? The reality that in someone's head there are conscious differences between what they like the race of the person holding the gun. Well, they're already in theory dealing with it. That's what this uh, implicit bias training is supposed to be all about. Uh, I don't know how effective it is. I've never gone through uh, implicit bias training, let alone police implicit bias training. I've read quite a bit about it. I've studied up on it. I know quite a bit about it. Uh, I'm very familiar with the history of how bias was constructed and created in this country. Um, 
But that's what implicit bias training is supposed to be about. Um, I have no idea you know, what that training actually looks like on the other side uh, when cops are getting going through the academy and getting their regular update data training. Um, you know, it doesn't look like it's uh, having much of a difference at this point. What do you think the city should do next? What do you think the city the city should be uh, doing right now? Well, part of this, I'll go back to this implicit bias training and just training on racism in general, what it is, how it works. Right? Cops don't learn to be racist in cop school. <laughs> they don't get their bias from the police academy. Right? They get their bias growing up in America. They get their bias in their schools. They get their bias from their families. They get their bias from our news media. They get their bias from our entertainment industry. They get their bias every time they turn on a TV. <laughs> in terms of the the way bias works and human nature works and human psychology works, you you see one thing associated with another thing. And in your brain, uh, if you see one visual stimuli, associated with a certain behavior, a certain thing associated with a certain behavior, more than once you start assuming that the behavior goes with the thing. That's just a natural inclination. And so when black people and people of color are talked about or visualized or portrayed and you see, and doesn't matter if it's a movie, your body, your, your mind doesn't know, you, you, your conscious knows the difference, but your subconscious doesn't. The thing that controls your behavior and your instinct and your flight or flight reflexes doesn't know the difference between what's things that are associated uh, in entertainment and on film and what you encounter in your daily life. Um, and so that's how these biases and these fears of black people are built by what people, all of us are taught to associate with black people, what all of us are taught to associate with Hispanic people, people of color. Um, and so the retraining, so whether it's a biased cop or a biased teacher or a biased banker who won't give someone a loan, right? They all get it from the same place. And so if you're waiting until they get to the police academy to start your cultural bias training, you've waited 20, 30 years too long. Um, and so I think any kind of effort to deal with this has to be part of a holistic effort to get rid of the bias in our city's culture, our state's culture, our nation's culture. Did that answer? And so as mayor, and I think you were asking this question about what should mayor do. I would that's that's the kind of thing. So that so now we're talking about school curriculum as well. Uh now we're talking about um things you put in place in every facet of public government in terms of what an orientation to a, a position looks like and what regular training in that position looks like. Um, you know, everywhere you can have some influence on what people encounter and on how people think about their own reactions to what they encounter. Mm -hmm. And you make that a part of that institution that you have some influence or control over, whether it's the schools or the police. Yeah. By the way, it's really uh, difficult and challenging to do what you're suggesting. And I'll, and I'll, I'll explain why, because yes, you could have great training in a school, Absolutely. Which I'm not saying we even have a remotely great training right now, but you could make that, you, you could make that your goal. Although now that I think about it, 
like just the notion of integration as a goal in the city of Chicago has been discounted for years. So we don't, we don't even try pretend Troy LaRavier that we think integration is a good idea. You know what I'm saying? Which would be the first step in my humble opinion to breaking down these biases, just forcing people to sort of like be in the same room together, you know? Okay. So we don't even pretend anymore. Nobody even like we said it was a waste of money to do busing in Chicago. Just, Throwing that out there, Troy. They said it was a waste of money. That's what Paul Vallis and Mayor Daly did back in 1990-something when they dismantled the magnet program, started dismantling it. They said it was a waste of money to have kids on bus. So you wonder why there's so much bias. All right, we're not even doing it in the schools, but let's say we were. Competing with that is an endless stream of images that bombard us all the time in the media. And um, I just, this is on my mind. I don't know if I sent this to you or not. I can't remember. I've sent it to so many different people. There was uh, a questioning of, uh, what's her name? Kristen Clark, who is uh, Joe, uh, President Biden's appointee. Uh, just follow me on this. I'm going to get to the point. Uh, in the Justice Department. Uh, and uh, she was being interrogated by Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, on the issue of whether she wrote an article that said defund the police and he's hammering at her and she's retreating from the notion of defunding the police because we can't even have a discussion about it, Troy, because it's, it's too loaded and charged. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so the democratic appointee is, is running away from it. I find it, it's really difficult. That's a relative mild example of how people are bombarded with conflicting, contrasting notions uh, to what you're talking about. But it happens on a much greater level all the time. And so I don't know. You're asking a lot of public schools and teachers and principals to try to withstand that like daily bombardment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I'm asking a lot of people in general, like it's not going to happen in schools. It's not going to happen anywhere unless there's a mass movement to make it happen. And that mass movement has to stay behind it. Um, I would say, too, um, I I will likely not run for public office again. So don't (laughs) take this as a plug because it is very unlikely I will ever run for public office again. But when I did run, the main part of my platform was ending residential segregation in Chicago. Like that's the key. And every other piece of that platform was linked, basically ending racism, like taking a huge bite out of the racist culture of this city. Um, I think that's the number one problem in this nation is the wealth gap is poor people getting screwed over by rich people. But the most effective tool they use to do that is racism. And we kick racism and we kick that other problem too. Like they, they run hand in hand. And so that was the number one part of my platform. So all I have to say is you the preacher, I'm the quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, you weren't even in the Chicago when that happened. I think you were still uh, a young man at uh, university of uh, Illinois Champaign, but I, I'll tell you what, when that, when that, when when Vallis and Chico and Daly, they said we got to get rid of this busing program because it's it's a waste. We're spending all this money on gas. Well, the reason we're doing that is to your point, Troy. Like 
God forbid black people and white people live in the same neighborhood. So there's no way you're going to have black people and white people in the same neighborhood school because they don't live in the same neighborhood. Uh, and for years and years, like if a black person moves into a white area, all the white people leave. And then you have the reverse happening in the as we hit the 21st century of gentrification, moving black people out. So there's only those brief moments in between the racial transformation of a neighborhood one way or the other where they're integrated and they never go to the same school unless you like have this inducement. All right. But let's you go to the I know you go to the school, the black person, if we have a special arts program. All right. Okay. That got them in the school together, but you had to bust them in from the side. No, can't do that. Cause it's a waste of money. So the city gives mixed messages, Troy. On the one hand, they say it's a waste of money to have integration. And the other hand, they say, this is really awful that people have these implicit biases against each other. Well, at the same time, they waste money to maintain segregation. You know, schools are a perfect example. You got North side schools that are um, adjacent, to um, you have places in the city where you have majority white schools that are adjacent to an attendance area of a majority black or majority Latino school. Majority white schools overcrowded. Majority Latino or black school is half empty. It would make perfect sense to redraw attendance boundaries um, and integrate those and create a more integrated school system at one of those schools uh, or even at both of them. Uh, but instead, CPS spends millions and millions of dollars building new additions onto the majority white schools so that they can maintain segregation. Um, and it's purposeful and it's intentional. I will never forget our current CEO when uh, the very scenario was happening with South Loop uh, in South Loop. And there were two schools. and I can't remember uh, which schools they were. One of them was uh, was South Loop Elementary School, if I remember correctly. I can't remember what the other one was. But they wanted to, uh, I think, redraw attendance boundaries to connect them. I think, well, I think the other school was National Teachers Academy. Was yeah, South you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Instead of building an addition on the South Loop, which had a much less, <laughs> a much wider population and far more affluent population, instead of redrawing attendance boundaries to um, connect them with those kids at National Teachers Academy, they built an addition on the South Loop. And I remember Janice Jackson at the time that said, um, it was um, Pollyannish to think that the district could draw those boundaries and like it wasn't their job to address integration. But one year later, <laughs> when they wanted to close National Teachers Academy and give it to um, uh, the, the affluent, more wider population in South Loop uh, as a high school, they and, and then kick those kids out of national teachers academies and send them somewhere else. One of the things they said, well, it'll create a more integrated school. <laughs> so when it was going to inconvenience white people, Jackson was like, it's Pollyannish. When it was going to take away a school from black people, oh, it was the best thing in the world. Yeah. Um, so they like to waste money and they were going to re- retrofit the whole school and spend millions of dollars on its new, more affluent population. So when it could have saved money, <laughs> uh, but create integration, it was Pollyannish. When it was going to waste money and take a school away from black people, it was the best thing in the yeah. world. And this is from a black CEO. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, good memory. I, I for, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, but that is uh, the story of integration in Chicago. And it comes down to a split second moment in an alley with a police officer 
uh, and a 13 year old kid, you kind of over, it's easy to overlook years and years. And you talk about implicit training and bias effectively uh, when Troy, the, the theme of the story that Troy just told is that you don't want to go to a school with black kids. That's the theme of it, Troy, you yeah. know, and, and it really, you're not going to have this conversation openly, but I've heard it many times in my life, uh, having lived among white people my entire life. And I know this governs, this governs policy in yeah. Chicago and it governs people's, it's like what they hear when they're growing up. Well, the, so, theme, yeah. the theme more specifically is even a little more specific than that. It's not, you don't want to go to school with black kids. It's we have to keep these black and white people apart. Yeah, We cannot let this be a successful example of an integrated school. We cannot let that happen. Racism works by creating ideas in the heads of folks about what black people are and it's easier to maintain those fake and false ideas if you keep them separate. If you put them together, then people are constantly confronted with the reality of who these who these black people are that is polar opposite and contradictory to what you've been conditioned to think they are. And that begins to break down those ideas. That's why segregation is one of the greatest tools of racism because you... You, you know, it's propaganda and then segregation. The, the propaganda does not work as well without the segregation because if you keep encountering these people, if you live next door to these people, then the ideas that have been propagated about them begin to fall apart when you're consistently fronted with the reality of the contradiction. Yeah. And so you can't have schools with black and white people in the minds of the wealthy who exploit us. You can't have successful, you have to have as few successful successful examples of that is possible because you have to keep these people divided so that you can continue to exploit them. Wow. Uh, by the way, that, uh, that riff you went on about don't say you're putting your life on your line. If uh, you've not putting your life on your line, which right. is, I hadn't thought of that before. Um, have you ever said that to a police officer? I've never said it to anyone. I just said it in response to your question. Uh, first time it's left my mouth. <laughs> I mean, I need uh, to say it more often. <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. I hadn't thought of it. I had not thought of that. Yeah, if you go and uh, you know that, I mean, you're right. That to have the wherewithal to just hold your fire for another second, you know, just to absolutely. Make certain that the person you're pointing a gun at does not have a gun in his hand. That that is putting your life on the line. That is exactly putting your life on the line. And I'll say it again. I'm looking at the picture right now. He did not have a gun in his hand. Yeah, so very clear. Yeah, he did not have a gun in his hand. And if that police officer had not pulled that, he'd be a hero. Because he would have put his life on the line. And by doing so, he would have spared another life. That's and right. maybe that would have been enough to turn Adam Toledo's life around. Who knows? That's right. It's your job to put your life on the line. You say you do it, then damn it, do it. 
That has to be the culture police. You put your life on the line. You know, but that's not what's happening. It didn't happen last night. I don't want to say it's not what's happening because, like I said earlier, you know, I'm sure it's happening, and we never know because that person lives. That person yeah. just gets arrested. That person gets a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure it's happened quite a bit. And the people who held for that extra second and risked their lives in that moment, you know, deserve praise. Mm-hmm. But that cop who shot at him deserves something else. Uh, let's uh, get your thoughts on uh, what Mayor Lori Lightfoot said. Uh, Dennis had quoted before he came on, so I'm going to do my best to paraphrase it. In uh, her quote, she was tra- being uh, trying to be uh, show empathy uh, for uh, Adam Toledo, and she said the city has failed him. The city has failed him. And then she went on to elaborate from that point, but... Uh, do you feel the city has failed him the same way that uh, Lori Lightfoot said? Well, I need to hear elaborate on what she means by that. Like, right now, I don't know what she means. I could guess at what she means. Does she mean that? It sounds like she's trying to create an avenue to express empathy while still letting the cop off. That's what I hear. Um, that the fact that he was running through an alley with a gun means that that kid led a life up to that point where he did not have the things he needed to stay out of a life like that, where he's in an alley with a gun. And and as a result, the city failed him, Um, which is true. But if it's being said in order to avoid holding this officer accountable for doing what he was supposed to do, which was put his life on the line, then that's where we part ways. Uh, And it sounds like she did not, I haven't heard any kind of critique of the officer so far, but uh, I'll hold my comments until I'm a bit more clear. Any further comment until I'm a bit more clear about uh, what my position is. Yeah, just, uh, I got the full quote right here. Um, and I'm reading from the Sun-Times. The normally steely Lightfoot nearly broke down in tears as she talked about what she views as the most pressing concern exposed by Adam's death, the need to prevent yet another Chicago teenager from falling through the cracks. Quote, I've sat in too many circles watching these young people who are beautiful and magnificent but traumatized by the violence that they experience every day. We've got to do things differently to change around their fortunes. We owe it to them to do better. And uh, we can't have uh, our young people experience in the city. It will take all of us to turn this around. This moment where a family did everything they could and still this happened, this is an important moment for us to take stock, to listen, and then reinvest in strategic ways that are going to really improve the quality of young people's lives. So that's the full quote of what she was saying. So I recall a teacher strike. about a year or so ago where they had to actually go on strike to get basic investments in kids like him from the mayor. And I recall her resisting quite a bit. I recall the Sun-Times in the press saying, you got a salary raise. What are you doing fighting for these kids? That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You got your salary hike. What is all this extra stuff you want for kids? 
You know, that's not your role as a union. And so her words run in contradiction to the actual investment she's made or refused to make in our schools, in our neighborhoods, um, and programs and services for young people, uh, in housing. Like, I'm not seeing it. You know, I'm not seeing someone who is marshalling the taxpaying public to promote and justify and raise their awareness of the benefits of investing in these things through our tax dollars. I'm not seeing it. I just heard a speech where she said, we need, we really need to do the things that I have thus far refused to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah. Uh, Correct me I'm wrong, brother. I, uh, I can't. I can't. I I uh, I believe, and I'm trying to remember what the Sun Times told the teachers, or it was maybe it was a Tribune, or maybe it was both. It was more like, "Shut up, take the money, and get back in that classroom." When the teachers went on strike for more nurses and librarians, and they shut up, take the money, get back in the classroom. You got yours. You're lucky you got a job. <laughs> like, right. What a city. And now Adam got his. Um, and, and again, to the extent that that speech was meant to divert attention from the wrong done to Adam by that cop, you know, I think it was cowardice uh, at best. Mm-hmm. Right? The point needs to be you say you put your life on the line, then damn it. Wait an extra half a second and be certain before you pull that trigger. That is putting your life on the line. Stop saying you do it when you don't. Stop saying that you're there to serve and protect the public when it's all about protecting yourself. Because that's what that was about. I'm in fear for my life because I think. No, putting your life on the line means you're certain. And it means you have to wait that extra millisecond to be certain, right? And that's the culture that has to change. You, you have to be what you say you are. You have to do what you say you do. You say you put your life on the line, then damn it, wait that extra half a second. And in that half a second, you are putting your life on the line and you're doing it to help save another life possibly. That didn't happen without him. Another thing that has changed in terms of... Uh, and again, Lightfoot didn't make that point. It's her job as mayor to make that point. And she's avoiding that point. To make the, the point you just made? I've never heard anybody make the point you just made. Uh, and I thought I heard everything. And you just admitted that you had never made that point until this moment when you said it. And it's it's a, a very powerful point. And the, I, when you were saying that, I kind of was thinking about the negotiations that just went on between teachers and uh, CPS over going back to the classroom in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And teachers are worried about their lives and the lives of their family and the, the lives of the kids and their family. And everybody's like, always in Chicago, shut up, go back in there. Don't worry about your life. Yeah, but, well, I've never made it in public, but I've been thinking it for years. But, you know, I'm an educator, so people don't often ask me what I think about 
police brutality and police reform. So it's just been in my mind thinking, why isn't anybody saying this? I wish I had an opportunity. And here you go, Ben. Yeah. I, by the way, I urge everybody, I'm going to replay it. We did a, a conversation this summer, uh, Troy and myself, which was really deep. He had just got arrested. Just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. I never wrote the column. I should. Troy LaRavier ran for mayor briefly, city of Chicago. Uh, didn't work out because he believes in integration. So, of course, nobody was going to fund his campaign. Think about that, Chicago. He, 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 your main platform is residential integration. You couldn't raise money. Oh, I wonder if there's a correlation. <laughs> uh, anyway, so few months later, he was protesting. He was part of the group that was moving in on um, was Trump Tower, right? You're crossing the bridge. Got thrown into jail. I urge everybody to listen to that. I've thought about this, Troy. You know, you might have been the mayor. It's an extreme unlikelihood, but you might have been. You were running for that opportunity. And instead, you were arrested. I think about that. That's kind of like a guy who would say his number one goal is to re- residentially integrate Chicago is now getting arrested. That's that's how we deal with your ideas. So I urge everybody, I'm going to put that out there again, because I think that what went down, what you experienced uh, this summer is very relevant in terms of you say, well, you no know, people don't usually ask you about policing, but you had some very relevant things to say about what happened to you this summer at that bridge. Uh, leading to Trump Tower and the, the way you were treated when you were thrown into that cell. A mayoral candidate, ladies and gentlemen. One thing that has changed, Troy, this is what I was going to get at, get your thoughts on this, is now it's it's like um, politicians are being really c- cautioned not to in any way, quote-unquote, blame the family. And this runs counter. I was actually going to write about this. Get your thoughts on this. This runs counter to the impulse that so many people have in their private conversations. Like in this conversation, I can assure you, Troy LaRavier, that countless Chicagoans of all races were saying, what was that kid doing in that alley at 2.30? How come that mother didn't know about the kid in the alley at 2.30? And I'm watching all these politicians are like, I'm not going there. I'm not going to criticize the family. Um, do, you, do you follow what I'm saying? It's like, it's a training program about how to handle the crisis after the crisis has happened while pretending like these ideas are not circulating in society. Your reaction. Hmm. Um, didn't know about the training program or, or that, that advice. Because uh, I know uh, Rom was a little different. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, there's some real stupid shit, man. <laughs> About the value systems of families yeah. and neighborhoods, dude. I want to say something inappropriate right now, but anyway, um, I think they learned from Rom. That's a good point. I think they're kind of like that's what on a PR st- I didn't know. I didn't mean literally there was a training program like they brought I in. What, a, I yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole idea is stupid, man. I got five siblings. Actually, I got 10 of us, but five on my mother's side. And grow, one of us growing up myself as a teenager, Worked odd jobs, um, worked on my brother's moving van, would go across country. I got a part-time job at Reggio's Pizza, 
found my way to the Navy. Another one of us um, was <laughs> a gangster disciple, uh, sold dope, um, carried weapons, uh, got fortunate and found his way onto a wrestling team at, at high school in Dunbar, got a scholarship, went off to Howard University and became one of the two siblings who was a Chicago public school principal. Another one, um, you know, dropped out of high school, um, got into alcohol, got into drugs, has been in and out of rehab, love them to death. Uh, is the one that looks most like me. <laughs> we the ones who look most like each other, I should say. Um, and another one became a trucker. You know, like same mother, <laughs> right? Different opportunities and circumstances. The world makes us what we are. Your parents have some influence, but, and particularly in the circumstances in, in a community like that, where it's quite likely the mother had a job, the father had a job, the mother had a second job, the father had a second job, and they working just to make sure it's something to eat on the table when Shorty gets home. You know, it's it's interesting for, you know, middle-class people with that kind of time who don't have to work 18 hours of the day to say, where was the parent? Um, without thinking about what the parent has to do just to survive and make sure that the family survives. Um, so those are some initial thoughts that I have. I think that that, that whole line of thinking um, is, I wouldn't say completely off, but mostly off. Uh, I would say it's 99% off. And as you were going on your riff, I'm thinking about how sheltered a life. I'm going to share this. My mother, may she rest in peace, Troy. I was a mama's boy and <laughs> she rode me. I was not to leave the house. Okay. Right. And that's how she ran it. And she was a Chicago public school teacher. And she had command of that house. Okay. But I went with it for whatever reason. You can analyze me all day, but I went with it. I could easily have rebelled against it, Troy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, in other words, like I could have easily have said, no way I got to get out. I could easily gone into my room, wait until everyone was asleep, open the window, climb down, boom, go run with my friends. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. I chose not to. So this notion that like, there's a way you got to raise kids and parents aren't raising their kids the right way. Just misses like, like all the other factors out there that affect and impact the kid, including right. like what's going on in his head. You follow me? Right. And then that's where Lori's comment comes in, whether she knows it or not, because those factors, that would have been more like 95%, by the way, but you know, 95, 99. But those factors, that that thing that she talks about, well, we failed them, right? Those are the things that raise kids. Like when they go out into those streets, when they go out into different institutions that are out there, when they get out there in an environment outside of the home, like there's an ecosystem out there. And there's an ecosystem that politics and government and these institutions can have an impact on so that when kids find themselves in that ecosystem, that there are better options there for them than what are there right now. You know, and so that's how we fail. Like we, and 
Like, like kids are, you know, the whole it takes a village. That's the village out there. And, and we've defunded the village. Yeah. Yeah. We've defunded the village. So let's hope. I'm going to be searching for hope all day. And mm. <laughs> as soon as I say this, I have no hope this will happen. Let's hope all those powers that be that join Lori Lightfoot and try to shame teachers back in, what was it, November of 2019, for going on strike to hire more nurses. How dare they? Let's hope that all those powers that be, everybody's supposed to be doing reflecting. It's a moment of reflection, Troy, at this. We've been we've all been forced more or less to watch this gruesome murder. And as a point, and now the exercise is what can we learn from it? Well, I would love to see for once. And I've only seen it really once in my lifetime. Is whatever, this is before you were born. Dr. King was killed. The West Side went up in flames. And the Mayor Daly, the old Mayor Daly, convened the powers of being to say, we better do something. Mm-hmm. To, we got it. They're going to burn our city down. We better do something. That happened in 1968. So I'm, I'm still like, I would love to see the powers of be Troy LaRavier, look at this moment and go, you know, maybe we were wrong to say it was a good idea uh, to spend $1.3 billion on an upscale development on the North side. Maybe we were wrong to say uh, teachers should shut up and go into the classroom and not worry about nurses. I have a feeling Troy and Ravier that that won't happen. Try to convince me of otherwise and give, leave, let me leave this show today with a little hope. Go ahead. Well, brother, um, <laughs> hope. Yeah. For me, hope is, the ability to act today on behalf of the tomorrow that you envision. So hope involves, it's like something you can see. You can see hope. When you see folk out there uh, organizing and you see them trying to uplift folks consciousness toward the elevate that vision and give people a sense of how they can build and give them things to do to build it. You call this politician, uh, you raise these funds, um, we put these materials together, let's have a teach-in, let's hold this event, let's have this march, let's elevate. Like When you see people working on behalf of the thing they want to see tomorrow that does not exist today, that that's hope. That's the only place hope can exist and work. And so to the extent that we're willing to work for it, that's the extent to which there's hope. Um, and I'll leave it at that, brother. Yeah. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it did make sense. Uh, all right, we were running out of time here. I should let you go, but I, I just have to ask you, so, uh, since we're talking about schools, uh, this is on my mind a lot, it, it, and it is related, the elected school board. Uh, what a city. So uh, long last, it looks as though they're going to vote for an elected school board. And at the last moment, I don't know if you're paying attention, Troy, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot had a, an alternative introduced in uh, Springfield, which would be very much, they would, so it's like trying to, <laughs> you got to laugh at some point, Troy. It's like, well, part of the board would be elected. <laughs> only two out of nine members. I think, I think it was seven appointed two nine. Don't, don't quote me in the numbers because I don't have them in front of me. But in other words, the controlling interest would be hers. 
Okay, I mean, there is kind of a relation. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is all related. What you've been talking about, the need, uh, you know, uh, to address these fundamental inequities in the city of Chicago that we have that lead to something like what went down three weeks ago in that alley. Mm -hmm. And whether we're going to allow a democracy to flourish in the city of Chicago or continually to put the things, just keep them in the hands of the mayor. Right. So... My position on elected school board um, is that it has to be representative. It has to be representative. And you can't, because it's, it's an elected representative school board. And people don't talk about like the actual things that have to be put in place to make it representative. Um, so for example, if it's an at-large election, it's likely not going to be representative because you have to get citywide votes and you need citywide money. So you're certainly going to have to divide places up into smaller sub-districts. I think another way to make it representatives is to give qualifications. Like you have to be a parent of the Chicago public school student in a neighborhood school, right? That, that would make it represent more. That would make it more likely. That would increase the likelihood that it would be representative. If we brought in ranked choice voting, that would make it more likely that it would be actually representative of the people who are served by the district. And so to the extent that a proposal has sub-elements that increase the likelihood that the board will indeed be representative, uh, to the extent that it has it, I support it. To the extent that it doesn't, we're just creating another city council at the school board level. Mm. We have to remember, we have an elected representative city council, and it's garbage. And, And it doesn't at least the majority of it is garbage and it, and it doesn't necessarily represent the will of the people, but the will of the, uh, the real estate folk, the developers, uh, the bankers, um, because of the way elections work in this city, but the things we can do about our elections, things we can do about the qualifications for people who could run to make sure, or to make it more likely, you're never going to guarantee it, but to make it more likely that the people who hold office will actually represent the people in the district that they're supposed to supposed to represent. So that's and I'll say that and I'll say that the proposal that's on the table right now doesn't do that. And Lori Lightfoot's proposal goes even further away from them. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say uh, this is one of the benefits of being really old like I am. I knew I remember when we had something along the lines of what you're suggesting. You were a young scholar at Dunbar High School, but um uh, that's how long ago it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just had to get that young scholar line in there. Uh, I like we that. had, had, had too. Yeah, I had it all. <laughs> I put it all together. Uh, we did. We had it. We got rid of it. It was like not LSCs. Yeah, nominating. Uh, they they were like uh, each district or each region of the city had a governing board of LSCs, and they in turn. Uh, had a citywide board of LSCs and they gave recommendations to the mayor for the school board. So it was more, it was along the lines of what you were saying. And they got rid of it in 1995 because they thought all power had to be in the hands of the mayor, particularly it was a, a mayor named Daly. Uh, so um, anyway, all right, Troy, I will uh, close it down, but I have to tell you this I'll end on a little light note. And this is, Honest truth. I was going to text you last night, but it was like one in the morning. And I'm like, you know, that'd be really weird. He's probably sleeping. And most normal people oh, are really? sleeping. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's not <laughs> Okay. I was, you will like this. 
my, my wife had figured out how to set up YouTube on the TV. It was a big moment in our house. And uh, I said, you gotta watch Prince playing while my guitar gently weeps at the hall of fame. And we were talking about the last time we were on the show. So I put it on and he blew my mind away. I've seen it like 50 times. I, the dude, like they're playing all these rockers, Tom Petty. Uh, they're, they're, you know, the George Harrison's kid is he's really, and then Prince just kind of walks on stage. He's got that hat. I forgot the hat. The red fedora. I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, you fellas done. Cause let the man take over. And he just starts playing and he closes it down. Troy, he takes a guitar. He just throws it in the air and walks off. I'm like, wow. That's right, man. What'd your wife think? She blown away. Okay. And then, you know, and I, I'm not, not hating on Eric Clapton, but a little hate will come out. So the way YouTube works, the next clip, you know, they like it's like a whole stream of clips. Right. So they, it's like they're on a riff on while my guitar gently weeps. So the next one that comes on is Eric Clapton playing it. Mm-hmm. Sorry to say, man. I'm I mean, are you kidding me? What else? You can't he just the difference is night and day between the sound coming out of Prince's guitar and the sound coming out of Eric Clapton. Yeah, man, it's crazy that when they make these greatest guitars of all time, that Prince is not amongst the top three. He's not even in the top ten. I don't know why they undervalue him or underestimate or underrate him. He, to me, he's one of the top three guitarists, if not the best guitars of all time. He's got the catalog to show it. He's got the live performances to show it. Um, but he does so much other stuff that I think it kind of takes away of people taking that part of his uh, repertoire seriously. But when you watch it, it's incredible, I urge everybody to check it out while my guitar gently weeps. Uh, I think it's at the hall of fame, rock and roll hall of fame. And Prince is, is a performance for a lifetime. And by the way, I spent about another half hour watching uh, Carlos Santana play. The, you talk about great guitars. I said, it was like two in the morning. I go, I got to go to bed. This is ridiculous. I got a show to do. I didn't know I'd be talking to you today. I said, oh, should I text Troy? I'll leave him alone. The guy's probably sleeping. He think I'm really weird. You know, by the way, Troy, guess what? I'm just watching Prince. Anyway, man, that's something I do to keep sane. You know what I'm saying, Troy? I got to keep yes, saying. I do something similar. I find myself on YouTube loops. And if you go, hey, for your audience, if you watch that video, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, don't expect Prince right away. He doesn't come on yeah. until like three minutes into it. So it's worth it just to build up. Listen yeah. to the whole thing and watch it build and build, and he just gently strolls <laughs> into the sky like he wasn't even there, and then just takes up all time and space. <laughs> yes, he just kind of stroll. He does. He like strolls on. Yeah, here I am. You guys done? What yeah, this? Crazy thing, he's on stage the whole time, and you don't even notice him. He's just over in the corner, yeah. you know, just riffing away a little bit, playing. Yeah playing the harmonies with the rest of the band, but you don't even know it's him. Yeah. No, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, all right. We could talk about Prince all day. Uh, Troy LaRavier, uh, I didn't expect you to be talking with you today, but uh, you made I me feel I didn't expect better. it either. And I'm so <laughs> glad that it happened, brother. So glad. And uh, tell D-Nice I said, what's up? Here he is. Here's that what's good up, looking Troy? man. Yeah, man. I reached all out right. to you. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. That was awesome. Hey, thanks for reaching out. 
Appreciate all right, it. that's Hell Troy yeah. Laravia. I'm going to take all these ideas, steal them, and claim them as my okay. own. Everybody's going to go, God damn, you're smart. <laughs> poor, poor Troy. Not going to get any credit. You'll see it in the next week's column. All right, cool. <laughs> and I'll give you credit. All right, that's the great Troy Laravia, good friend of the show, uh, the president of the Chicago Principals Association. The man wanted to be mayor of the city of Chicago. And uh, but because he believes in pre- residential integration, uh, uh-uh, can't have that. Couldn't even raise any money. Anyway, I think uh, that's a good a spot as ever uh, to leave this show. It's been uh, a very challenging couple days. Well, uh, and I'm glad you explained to our listeners how YouTube works. I, I mean, we've been waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. he was like, oh god, it's so obvious. <laughs> I got to explain that once you started going on those things, those loops, you can really compare, you know, and I'm just saying Eric Clapton lovers out there. I know you love them. We've all been lost. Play the We've all been lost waiting for some guidance on YouTube. I'm so glad you were here to help us today. <laughs> just saying. Eric Clapton lovers out there. <laughs> anyway, Troy, I want to thank you, D. Uh, you earned your uh, enormous salary today. All right. By uh, setting up that interview with uh, yeah. Troy Larvin. And if there's any young uh, producers out there who want to learn the technique and art of booking a show, I think you can learn a lot from that. <laughs> hey, okay, you're not so supposed to laugh right? when you say that. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Don't laugh so hard. My gosh. That was awesome, though. I'm so glad, Troy. You know, I was sitting there writing the news, getting everything ready, and I'm like, you know, it would be great to have someone like Troy come on to talk about this. And, yeah, that was, boom, perfect. No, he perfect. blew my mind what he said. He, those, those riffs are so true. And um, his analysis was right on, in my humble yeah. opinion. I mean, we could have done a so, week in uh, review, but, you know, it was a, kind of an elephant in the room here, this story. So I'm glad we covered that and took the time to, you know, really – unpack all that uh next week yeah. uh you know crazy news uh permitting we'll we should have a regular oh what a week it was uh and uh, we thank everybody you can download previous ben jarofsky shows benny j bonus interview so much more chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky uh you can download shows wherever you download podcasts you can reach us on email benny j show at gmail.com leave us a message you can call us 708-658-4788 the number again 708-658-4788 we'd love to hear from you and find us online at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show I want to thank Troy LaRavier one more time for uh, dropping in and uh, giving us his thoughts on uh, all the events that have been happening in this uh, city of Chicago. I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And definitely, we got to give him a big standing ovation for booking Troy today. And as Troy, Lori Lightfoot, uh, and Eric Clapton will tell you, Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. I won't just turn the car around. I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think we want to fuck you then, who are you to tell me I'm full of shit?
French air soil temperatures measured at the Illinois State Water Survey's warm network stations hovered between 45 and 50 degrees over the past number of weeks. As of 10 a.m. on Thursday, soils in most stations north of Champaign remained below 50 degrees, including 42 degrees orange air soil temperatures in Freeport. Seven-day precipitation totals range from just under half an inch in northeast Illinois to over three inches in and around the Quad Cities. April precipitation to date follows a strong west-east gradient with most areas west of Highway 51 being one to two inches above normal and one half to one inch below normal farther east. Um, and I'm gonna make you walk home. If you think we want offensive, fuck you then.